Right then, hello everyone. Welcome to the Enduro World Series podcast. Rory, I don't know about you, but things have gotten weirdly busy all of a sudden. What have you been up to? What haven't I been up to, Rick? It's been uh, it's been a hectic week or a hectic couple of weeks, hasn't it? Um, obviously, the season's fast approaching. I don't remember it being this stressful as a rider. You know, <laughs> you see, this is it. This is you said to me the other day that this is getting really busy and really stressful, and I was like, if it, I've never experienced a run into any race season to be anything other than absolute chaos. I mean, I think hopefully we peaked in terms of chaos last season with twenty twenty, but yeah, it's all of a sudden everything, all the things you've been working on need to come together. I mean, we're in June now, and June has kind of been the target we've been aiming for since the start of the year June is when the season starts and here we are just literally two weeks away from rooting up loading up the new van and heading to the Met EWS Valde Fassa Trentino are you getting excited about it yet have you have you had any time to get excited about it yet I'm really excited about it actually because I've never been to Valde Fassa um I've been uh, oh it's good yeah so so oh, I've been looking good. back over the old uh, EWS videos on on YouTube and trying to get a, an idea of what what the courses are going to be like and um, what to expect when we are boots on the ground in our course preview. So I saw your last one with you and Chris Ball. So the bar's fairly low as far as. <laughs> <laughs> as I think that's what someone say. in your line of work calls achievable yeah. speed. <laughs> <laughs> so the bar's fairly low. So I'm sure we'll, we'll better that. But um, yeah, there is a the mayor of Canada, which is the town that the race is largely based in in Val de Fasset. Uh, he owns. A mountaintop restaurant that deals primarily in cheese. So sounds like sounds that, like that kind of party. Yeah, that course preview last time we were there. It's one of the highlights of my uh, two wheel career. And I overtook after lunch. I managed to overtake seven or eight of the world's media on the way down a stage, and that was entirely due to people having to stop because of uh, cheese based maladies. <laughs> like, <laughs> Eating, eating a load of cheese and then trying to ride push bikes in 35 yeah. degree Pro- heat doesn't really uh, doesn't really Proper work artery clogging cheese as well oh yeah no it's it's yeah I can't wait to get out there um, I've been flat out um, trying to shape what our content is going to look like this season um, so lots of work with our friends over at GMBN GMBN Tech EMBN um, it's all looking really exciting I think it's definitely going to be a case of uh improved quantity and quality yeah. so that's certainly what uh certainly what we're setting out to achieve so that is looking good i was trying to choose music for a big announcement we've got coming tomorrow for a launch video and uh choosing music is pickling um I, you always see it on social media editors complaining about how tough choosing music is but it really is sort of a bit of a rabbit hole but I've been doing that I guess it's subjective as um, well right I mean like everybody's got different tastes it really, yeah it is and the problem I find with it is that just because your brain works the way it does once you've heard a track a couple of times like it becomes really familiar and so other stuff doesn't sound as good because you don't know it yet do you know what I mean it's quite mm. a complicated thing um, yeah we should actually I've just realised that I mean, we try to keep this podcast as <coughs> excuse me as journalistically tight as we can. Uh, we have missed something, and that was in the excitement of having Zach on the podcast last week. We have not acknowledged the fact that the Schled is no more, and you've had your hair cut. Yeah, it's pretty. Um, 
it was a sad day. I had, I had to take about three attempts to walk from my house to the to the barbers to get it cut. I kept I, I, I caught sight of it in the side of our new van, which is like because it's brand new and shiny. I was I caught sight of it and I was like, oh, I can't do this. And I walked back to the house and then and then I looked at myself in the mirror and then imagined it in like thirty five degree heat and then was like, ah, I'm gonna have to do it. So unfortunately, yeah. the slid is gone and reviews reviews so far have been that it is. Many people seem glad to see the back of it, including my mum, who said, I didn't dislike it, but you look more handsome with it short. That was her way of saying the, sh- the schled. That was her way of saying the schled was absolutely atrocious. So Yeah, mums have mums have a way of cutting you down to size softly, softly, don't they? So, yeah, no, yeah. I, in, a, in a weird way, I would say that um, you look more like yourself with your hair shorter, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, okay, okay, I'll, I'll take that. I mean... Thankfully, we got a new delivery of uh, Giro helmets for this year because I think, uh, yeah, I think I've gone down a size with the loss of <laughs> volume yeah. up top. But um, yeah, uh, look, uh, pretty sad day. But um, you know, look, look, I got it out of the way. I know that I'm, I know that I look better with short hair. <laughs> You've got to build on the positives, and that is that we did get a load of social medias for the social media videos for the the Tweed Valley event shot whenever you had your long hair. So you'll be able to look back at it in the next coming sort of few weeks and really sort of jump back on board. But um, yeah, we're so yeah as I, as I said, we're on final approach to getting on the road. Part of that is going to be we've got more new bikes to build up. These ones are. Getting, we're gonna to have to build them from scratch because we just got some frames and boxes, haven't we? Um, some Santa Cruz Megatars, exciting as always. Megatars, great bike. I've been on it for two or three years now. I think is this your first one? Yep, never ridden one, so quite excited. You have ridden one. You rode you rode one on the Giro shoot we were on. You rode Marky's, Mark Scott's. I did actually, didn't I? Um, fastest it's ever been, apparently. Uh... <laughs> it did that gap that no one had done before. No, um, yeah, I mean, I guess riding somebody else's bike for a few photos is quite different to yeah, having your yeah. own and getting getting stuck into it. So Mark, um, Mark rides a medium, um, medium, and uh, and I've ordered a large, um, just because I think a, a slightly bigger bike's a little bit more, um, you know, the longer wheelbase and stuff is what we'll be after on those fast style plane tracks. That's what I'm telling myself anyway. I could be, I could be what wrong. Color, what colour? What colour? Usually, right? I've got the kind of. Uh, uh, the grey one it's like a kind of steel blue a grey sort of purpley one yeah that's, yeah, that's a nice colour I've got the sort of E36 M3 yellow one which I think yeah. is quite nice as well it's going to look I, I mean that you're getting the colourful bikes this year and I'm getting the dull ones but well, I guess that matches our characters a bit doesn't it I'm about to say that's probably reverse isn't it that's probably reverse <laughs> compensates um, we should say a big thank you to all our partners um, Santa Cruz uh, Shimano who've sent us like in the face of really a global shortage of anybody having any stock they've sent us enough stuff to build our bikes which is really really good of them I think we've got some Vittoria tyres to go on there as well and um, we just you messaged me out of the blue to find out what I wanted the other day from Bergtech which is really really cool I've, I've always been a big fan of Bergtech um, more so now that I've just ordered a, new, a load of new stuff from a new bike but um, I did get to see that order uh, after you lodged it and I think one of the big things I took away from it is that we're both rubbish at choosing colours we've just gone for all black everything haven't we yeah I mean well I mean firstly Bergtech has that many colours it's difficult to choose one 
Um, yes, that's true as well. So we can, we can put it down to that, but um, I think, I mean, you've got enough colour in your frames that you don't really need any more colourful components. <laughs> and uh, and, and, I, and I, I guess if I ordered like a, a, p- a couple of pink stems, it would probably stick out a little bit too much. But um, look, I mean, I've, I used to um, get support from Berg Tech in my downhill days when I was a, a privateer. They were one of the, the first kind of brands that really adopted the kind of high-rise wide handlebar and, and short stems. Um, when I was a, a privateer and when I raced on Junior on a Trek, I used to ride a size, size large, but always used to run a 40 mil stem and they were one of the only manufacturers that had a 40 mil direct mount stem um, for a number of years and then now it's, you know, it's fairly common, but, you know, great brand, you know, DC, Dan Critchlow, um, he's a great guy, he's been part of the UK race scene for uh, the last couple of decades probably and, um, yeah, ex- excited to be, be back on BergTech and, uh, and using their product to, uh, for the course previews this year. Yeah, I can't wait. Actually, I've always, as I say, I've always really liked their stuff. I've been to, uh, I've been to their factory where they make it, and where everything happens um, in a previous life for a, a magazine feature, and it doesn't get more rider owned, rider run than Berg I was going to say, was, was say exactly that. It's you know, it's like rider, um, you know, rider designed products. Yeah. You know, it's like it's yeah. Uh, there's not many. There's not many companies I think that are that closely tied to to riders and racing and uh yeah i think that's a a big reason for their success well one of the things i always think about Bergtech as well is that they're one of those brands and i'm not just talking about the bike industry here sort of i'm talking you know bigger picture globally they're one of those brands that absolutely nailed their logo first time Mm. aren't they do you know what i mean like it's just a really nice simple nicely designed nicely stylized logo that they could put on t-shirts they put on everywhere and it just looks it's instantly recognizable you know what it is you know what it stands for um yeah big fan um just a personal one on the color thing my take on it is always that you're allowed two colors per bike and that's why i went all black with my bergtech stuff because my thinking is your frame's allowed to be one colour and then your fork lures are possibly allowed to be another colour. After that, you've maxed out. That's an interesting... I think you've gone a bit nibbler on us here, right? That's pretty... I have. I have, because really, stuff, I guess, stuff I guess really bothers me. Like, I could never bring myself to run coloured grips. Grips have no. to be black. Grips are black, that's it. Yeah, if you were a baller a few years ago, you not crisp ball... More baller than that. <laughs> if, if you're a baller a few years ago, you used to be able to run like white grips. See a lot of motocross guys running white grips. White grips were for, a thing. I remember that. Yeah. Just because they use them like for a race, and then they rip them off. But then in mountain biking, it was like they got oh, covered man. in mud, and they just turned to like kind of like muddy cream kind of beige grips. No, no, no. Same no. with like white. Same with white seats as well. Um, yeah, I'm yeah. fine with you on that. Black grips only. I mean, there's certain components where. I wouldn't run a coloured handlebar. I um... I really like the thing is when you go on Instagram and you see it all nicely shot. I really like because Bergtech do matching stem caps and spacers, and you can you know match that up with your stem and stuff. And I love the look of that. I I love how that looks. But if you're a yellow frame and for argument's sake, like a red or an orange fork, and then you had this other anodized colour combo above that. It, it would just upset me on a, a level that I don't think I'd be comfortable with. Oh, damn it, I should have ordered I should have ordered a blue stem and a red chainring then just to <laughs> To be honest, I can't believe you haven't. If you haven't, I'm gonna be genuinely surprised. Right, let's 
move on from my own particular mental quirks and talk about um, a big race last weekend, the Epic Hope PMBA Enduro and Grafeweight. This was an EWS qualifier, so plenty at stake in this one. Easily the biggest uh, enduro race in the UK so far, 2021. Let's just set the scene first to anyone who might have missed, I think it was episode 17. We did a bit of a preview on it a bit. The Lake District in the north of England, stunningly beautiful, um, but extremely well protected and officiated, notoriously difficult to ride mountain bikes in. This race was held actually on private land with no fewer than five stages, all of which looked like, from what I've seen online, looked proper, proper enduro stages. Uh, some hefty climbs to get to the top of them, lots of pictures of even pros pushing bikes up hills. Uh, no spectators, sadly, um, as the UK continues its long journey out of COVID, but great to see more racing taking place and an interesting set of results featuring some big names. One such big name was Ibis Enduro Team's Bex Barona, who took the win in pro women's category, and I spoke to her earlier. Bex, welcome to the Enduro World Series podcast and congratulations on um, not one but two race wins. Yeah, it's been a good start. It's uh, been a long hiatus from work, (laughs) but um, really happy (laughs) at the the top end, so yeah. Yeah, how was, was, first of all, let's let's do them chronologically, how was the the trip to Italy with the team then? Uh, Good vibes? Yeah, it was... um, pretty weird actually to get like back on a plane and everything I don't think I've been on a plane for like nearly 18 months um which yeah it was strange but you just kind of like take all the precautions and that and then we got as soon as we got back to the team it just felt like back to it and it it was a bit of an added bonus to have a race during sort of team camp which worked really well so it's like quite intense we just went straight in Um, set the bikes up and went straight into a race so Have you changed? Uh, have you changed much with the bike this season at all? Have you uh, updated anything or? No, actually, it's um, it's exactly the same setup that I was running for Zermatt uh, last year, and I mean I'm quite happy about that because you don't have to stress over like new parts and getting on with new stuff. It must be um, must be a big confidence boost for you as well because finale like it's a it's a really tough place to race isn't it and the standard of riders out there is really high as well yeah I mean well the race itself we did team camp in finale and the first few days I was like oh god we're back to proper proper trails and I felt like a bit of a wobble to be honest and then I mean you always feel a bit slow around the boys because they're obviously a little like next level up but um the race itself was actually in a place I've never ridden in in Italy um in in Tuscany and yeah it was luckily it was actually quite relatively mellow tracks which was quite nice nice to ease you back into racing and then talk about uh Grafeweight then the Epic Hope PMBA race that um from the outside looking in that looked like it was a really good success yeah I mean it massively helped that everyone was so excited to race and like the the atmosphere was um the atmosphere was really good and the sun was out and um the the stages were like pretty full on actually I think the heart that the harder race was the Graithwaite one which is always a bit strange because you think oh racing at home it's like a bit more in your comfort zone and whatnot but the stages was pretty spicy yeah they looked at from the photos didn't they but um you must be really really happy to come away with a win against that kind of backdrop yeah yeah it was like a little mini EWS I suppose most of the the fast 
the fast people turned up. Um, I think there was like seven hundred riders that like signed up for the event. So yeah, it was confidence boost for sure, and just want to keep the ball rolling and kind of just like I think this off season I've gone into like a little bit of a I don't know just sometimes things click into place and riding's just feeling like it's flowing at the moment. So enjoying it. Good. Um, full of confidence then uh, heading to Italy what are your plans um, before the season actually starts then at the Met EWS Val di Fassa Trentino uh, so we're actually heading out tomorrow a um, couple of weeks ahead uh, I've got a little bit of filming work to do and then last little bits of I suppose we say like last bits of training to get in but it's not so much training <laughs> now it's just sort of keeping on top and getting getting excited to race but yeah I'm heading out to Finale for the two weeks and then I'll head over to Canazze where it'll be all go go with doing double double header racing, which should be good. Just more bike time, so Yeah, do you think um does that change things for you guys, uh the pros, having the the first round as a double? Because it's you're gonna have to I guess manage your sort of recovery and sort of time on the bike quite well. Yeah, I think um I think the mechanics will be busier because <laughs> they've got double <laughs> the job in half the time pretty much. So they'll be busy. But um I think it'll be personally like i just think it'll be so much better because we can just got we've got more opportunity to race and um we're all dying to get back between the proper tape and that so yeah we'll probably it's going to be hard for robin my teammate because he, he likes to just be go 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 all the time so probably in between the two races i'm like right you've got to sit down now and just relax <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in terms of Val de Fassa then, I mean, you talk about like, you know, how, how long the stages are whenever you get down to Italy and stuff, but there's a couple of really big stages there, isn't it, as well? Are you looking forward to getting back there? Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting back there for redemption because I, uh, I actually broke my ribs at the last race there in practice, so I didn't get a chance to, to race, which is a shame, and I actually I broke them on a stupid little feature. I don't know if you remember the... the yeah. I do remember it. I just, <laughs> me off as I asked you that question, it came flooding yeah. back to me. And I was like, oh. Yeah, it's like slightly awkward. But um, yeah, really sort of... You do all the gnarly rocks in the mountain and then you get to the village at the bottom and I just cased a little wooden double and yeah, went splat. And, so I'm really excited to like actually race the stages this year. And um, yeah, the long stages yeah. will be good, I think. You've played that down. It was quite a big crash. Yeah. I, remember, I remember it well. <laughs> it was horrible. I just felt like I felt embarrassed to be honest because um, I don't know. Like, obviously, people think, "Well, you're a professional rider. You should be really good." But like, it was something you'd see, sort of like I don't know, like maybe a weekend warrior being like, "Yeah, I'll send the jump," and I, I, I was that <laughs> weekend warrior try, trying to do something which I was a bit nervous for, and then went a little bit stiff and yeah, hit the ground really hard. <laughs> You did. I remember it. As I say, I remember it vividly. But um, it's a. It feels like a a really nice, positive place to start the season as well, doesn't it? The Cantizay Val de Fassa. It's just a really nice part of it. Yeah, it's beautiful with the massive dolomites and that. Um, Yeah, but because I didn't get a chance to sort of do much wrecking around it last time, it'll be a bit nice to just. I, I vaguely remember the stage has been pretty rocky and really long. So yeah, that'll be probably a wake-up call because we're getting pretty used to like four to five minute trails <laughs> I don't know about like 10 to 15 minutes let's talk about just quickly let's talk about um we've talked a lot about the first race of the season but the last race of the season the Vittoria EWS Tweed Valley that's literally in your hometown yeah. now are you looking forward to that are you looking forward to that yeah I'm looking forward to rolling straight out of my own bed 
into a race, which would be pretty cool. But yeah, I've to be honest, before I actually even moved up here, um, I've always wanted to to properly race up here because the first EWS I ever did was in the Tweed Valley. That's what got me hooked on the sport in general, and uh, it's going to be awesome. Like, because obviously, as a local, you you're excited to just go fast, but I feel like you ride. Like, I ride the trails of all the time, but only at sort of like seventy, eighty percent. So it'll be cool to go like that extra bit faster and and just the vibe knowing people and yeah women i can't wait it, prom- it promises to be a big race doesn't it because like let's face it like there's some and i'm not just talking about rury here there are some seriously fast riders in that part of scotland oh yeah the valley is like like there's a there's a lot of professional riders and then aside from the professional riders like your average rider is very fast up there because i've been doing a bit of coaching and like I get quite a lot of women that I coach and they might be like, oh, I don't feel very good on these tracks. And I'm like, compared to the standard, like the rest of the UK, you're absolutely shredding because <laughs> the, the trails are so gnarly. It is a bit of a gladiator academy, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Bex, listen, thank you very much for giving us your time this afternoon so and um, look forward to catching up with you in Italy. There you are then, Ruri. Always good to catch up with Bex. She's always someone that you can rely on to be having a good time and to buzzing off racing her bike isn't she isn't she what did you think of that win uh what do you think that win will do for her confidence i should say as we get ready to head to italy yeah i mean we spoke about it on the the podcast last time with zach about how these kind of lead-in races are, are really really important for your confidence and you know a good gauge as to you know the work you've done in the off season and where you stand so um, you know a, a strong field um, in the women's there, and you know Beck's pretty convincing win you'd have to say. So I mean, you know she'll be she'll be happy with that. Um, you know, like like the rest of us, she'll be getting ready to head to Europe, and um, you know <laughs> I think the trails in Val de Fasse will be quite different to those in the in the Lake Braithwaite. District. But um, Braithwaite, yeah, in the Lake District. So um, you know uh, it, it'll be a good confidence builder. Um, she's obviously happy on uh, happy on the bike and um, yeah I, th- I think she'll be raring to go in, in Val de Fassa. yeah we talked as you say last week to her Ibis teammate Zach Johansson and the importance of that first race especially one away from the familiar trails of home where you can work out how the team is going to work uh, how travel's going to work all that sort of stuff she won the race the team attended out in Italy uh, I think it was the weekend before that race in Grafway, uh in Finale. Finale, perhaps the toughest place on earth to race an enduro bike, given the severity of the stages, the quality of the competition. Now she's taken a win at the first big British race of the season. Are we going to Val de Fassa and are we going to be talking about Bex uh, as being a contender for the win there as well, in your estimations? I don't, I don't see why not. I mean... Um... She's a she's a strong rider. I think this the stages in Val de Fassa from from what I've what I've seen are you know they're long, they're physical, um, quite fast. So um, yeah, I mean I, I think they'll suit her. Uh, obviously, you know there's going to be half a dozen other women saying that <laughs> no, I'm going to be the contender for the win. So um, look, it, a lot of this comes down to like as a racer. You know, you can prepare for the season as kind of as much as you want and, and you can go to the first round and perform really well and there's just 
sometimes somebody else performs better. It's not that you've done anything wrong. It's just that somebody else has, has had a better day. And, um, you know, I have, I think the women's field this year with the, with what we saw last year with the, you know, a couple of new winners and, um, you know, a few other riders looking stronger into this season. It, it is pretty open. I don't think we can disc. I don't think we dis- can discount Isabel. Um, you know, I it, think Isabel Isabel needs to. I kind of get the feeling as, I mean, Bex is racking up wins. We've got you know, Morgan Shar, uh, Melanie Pujan, both took wins last year. Uh, Noga Karem, ALN. Ella Connolly's looking fast. We've got the, the young guns, the Hattie Harndons and the, the Polly Hendersons are going to be wanting to sort of put their stamp on things and get on podiums. Ella Connolly's on a new bike. I kind of feel like as we get closer to this race, Isabel really needs to stamp her authority over that field again, doesn't she? And put a big performance in and sort of reassert herself a little bit. It'd be a statement, wouldn't it? If she came out and you know and won the first race in, in Val de Fassa, it'd be a big statement. Um, I'm sure that's, you know, I'm sure for her that's the goal. I, I can't see, you know, with, with how much winning she's done and how she's asserted herself as the, the number one woman um, in EWS, you kind of feel that it'll, it's, you know I mean, it's, it's, it's a win or it's a failure in her eyes. That, that, that's kind of, that's the impression I get. But, um, you know, it's, uh, it's exciting. I mean, you know, the, the unpredictability of racing is what makes it exciting. Exactly. Yeah. It's the, you know, I think naturally, when a rider's been so dominant like Isabeau and like Cecile was before her, I think the excitement comes from the prospect of an underdog taking a win. And we kind of saw that last year at the last couple of rounds. But, you know, now we're going to the first race of the season. Everybody's kind of had six, seven months off to, you know, look at what they need to improve and train and, you know, get more comfortable on the bike and, it's that kind of, you know, it's that uncertainty that makes that first race such a kind of mouth-watering prospect, I think. So, yeah, I can't, I can't wait. I mean, if I was a betting man, I mean, who, who would you put your money on? Oh, you can't, you can't start that sentence with, if I was a betting man, and then go, well, I don't okay. know, who would you bet on? Okay, if I was a betting man, I would struggle to look past Isabeau, but I wouldn't be surprised if any of the other half dozen women we mentioned one yeah if I, I think if you're talking purely in terms of if you and I were stood in a Ladbrokes or I mean other other bookmakers are of course available but if we were stood in the bookmakers now and you had to get me to put £10 on anybody you've got to go with the you know the champ the one who's done all the winning the most recently mm. now it is Isabel but that said as you as you cor- correctly pointed out I think there's five or six at least names in there that could be uh, giving her a run for her money, right? Uh, another worthwhile point from that uh, racing finale was that Bex would have finished 25th in the overall race, so she's not hanging about whatsoever. Um, she backed no, to Graveway. That's impressive. Then. Yeah, serious, serious performance out in finale. But back to Graveway, uh, she beat Chloe Taylor, who was second, by 45 seconds, with Jess Stone in third. In the men's race, it was, I am proud to say, a big day for the Irish with Greg Callahan taking the win ahead of Keelan Grant, who was in third, and Reese Langhorn was in second, behind Greg by 25 seconds. Pretty, Another pretty resounding win, really. A big performance that from Greg, wasn't it? Yeah, good good win for Greg. Again, um, 
to like uh, like Bex's win, pretty convincing. You'd have to say. Um, all the more impressive, seeing as he, you know, I, I doubt Greg will have known the trails there, and you know he's come over, yeah. ridden the, you know, ridden the race course once, and then gone out and, and done that. Um, there's a few other kind of locals that we we thought might have a, a good run at it, but um, no, convincing for Greg. Obviously, good to see him, good to see him take a win, and um, you know, in the same in the same kind of prospect as Beck, you kind of have to say that you know it's a good lead in, good lead into the season, and. Um, you know he'll be he'll be arriving in Val de Fassa riding the the wave of, wave of confidence. Yeah, I think we're going to see. I think we're going to see Greg Callahan firing again in twenty twenty one. He looks uh, looks lean, looks trim. He's injury free. He mm. is off a race. I mean that that entry list for the the Epic Hope PMBA and Graveway stacked with big names. You know, stacked with names that he'd expect to be seeing around him at an EWS, and he came away with that win. Keelan Grant, uh, I'm taking Keelan's third place there as affirmation that you and I know what we're talking about and that we said that he was looking very fast whenever we rode with him uh, round your way not so long ago. Um, great to see. I know those two are travelling together as we speak out to mm. Italy, so good, probably having uh, some laughs along the way. Yeah, good race for Keelan to get in, you know, especially after the injuries and the extent of the injuries he's had. Um you know, a couple of episodes ago, we we spoke at length about the operations that he's had, and um, they're not small by any means. So for him to to get a race in, and you know, I'm sure he would have liked to have been closer to Greg, but you've got to start somewhere, and you've got to build, and you know, a nice solid podium like that's perfect. And uh, you know, looking across the stage times, he was he was consistent as well. So good good to see him back racing, and I'm sure it's just going to be a a year that he's building race by race as he gets more confidence and more strength in in that shoulder. As I say, traveling, he's traveling with Greg, the two of them are, I mean, obviously if you're not following them on social media already, go and follow them, they're obviously having a whale of a time together. Um, <laughs> just from your experience, like if you're hanging out with somebody, not necessarily from the same team, but traveling to and from races with them, you're going fast, they're going fast, does that help as well, do you know what I mean, to have that other person with you, to have that other person that you're sort of striking into a bit of form with? Massively, um, you know. I think the amount of time we spend traveling and and you know the the amount you have to do throughout the year, it's it's important to travel with someone that you like and that you get on with. And if that someone is also like me, I mean, yeah, you'll do. I suppose it won't be my first time. <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna say like, yeah, I'm I'm always operating at a very very high level. So uh... yeah. Yeah, you're a bit too professional for me, right? But um, <laughs> when I raced DWS a couple of years ago, um, I travelled out with Mark Scott. In between races, we went to uh, Alpe d'Huez, and whilst the mega was on, and whilst we didn't race, we were uh, we were kind of on the bikes, training every day, pushing each other. Um, pretty traumatising, trying to chase Mark up the Alpe d'Huez climb in you know 32, 33 degrees heat, just watching him disappear, and you think you're about to have a heart attack or heat or, or get a heat stroke or both um, but no it's good I think you know two kind of like minded individuals they're both you know they both know each other well they're going to have a good a good laugh regardless but you know all the training and the, the riding you've got to fit in, in between the, the pushing each other and it's only going to benefit you know a, a happy racer is a fast racer and um, yeah I think it, it's good for them and 
you know, breaks up that journey a bit. They're in good company. They'll have a laugh, but at the same time, when uh, when you need to get serious, uh, they'll get serious. And do they both have the the same trainer in Chris Comore? So even though I think they do, yeah. all training programs all line, both get the same program. Ideal. Ideal. Um, it's also worth mentioning another young rider who is making a bit of a name for herself at the minute, uh, Emily Carrick-Anderson. The under-21 youngster posted a time that would have seen her finish fifth in the pro women's class. Uh, she's from your neck of the woods, Ruri. Tell us a bit about her background, and many whisper it, older racers may recognise the surname. Yeah, I mean, firstly, she's been really impressive the last couple of races. Um, I guess before we get into her background and, and our... Her dad, uh, also part of the Timo uh, Tracy Mosley development yes. program, um, which obviously, if you look at some of the riders that have come through that, Hattie Harnden, um, Evie Richards in cross country, yeah, I know Emily's older brother, Corin, was part of that. He's really making a name for himself in the junior cross country World Cups. Um, Yeah, so Emily, the the daughter of uh, Crawford Carrick Anderson, um, you know, one of Scotland's most most famous downhill racers, and I I could be wrong with this, but I'm gonna say it anyway. I think he may still be the highest overall Scottish rider, like finisher of a Scottish rider in a World Cup. I think he had a year or maybe two years where he was knocking around the top 10 overall in a World Cup season. Is that when he was on Giant? Um, when he was on Giant. Uh, he was on Giant with Warner, wasn't he? It, it was around that time. It may have been the year after when he was on a Kona for Halford's bike. Remember that orange? That's right. Yeah, um, yeah. But I'm sure he had a top 10 overall, which um, in, in the elite men's it, from a Scottish rider, I don't, I don't think it's been replicated. I know um, Reese and Greg and a couple others have had good results, but as far as a top ten overall in a World Cup uh, season, he may still may still hold it as the the highest ranked. So, Crawford um, as well. Then he won he won a lot at national level on a trials bike. He's won. I think he's raced skiing. He's he's an unbelievable uh, World Cup downhiller, as you say. He was a really early adopter of that sort of what we now call enduro bikes, that long mm. travel, aggressive style of trail bike, and really created. I remember him telling me some of the routes he was creating around your neck of the woods really early on, and they were you know mm. big with some savage descents in them. And yeah, it's yeah. perhaps no surprise then that his daughter is very very quick on a bike. I think she was actually. I think she actually. I might be wrong on this. Raced that bike and raced that race on one of Timo's old bikes as well because I remember seeing a, a post from Tracy of uh, Emily manual on her bike saying that that was the furthest that bike had ever been manual before. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, she yeah. she really looks like she really looks like she's a racer we're going to hear a lot more of, doesn't she? Yeah, we were around um, so Crawford now uh, he runs a a sign writing business and he's he's getting all the the decals put in our new van as we speak and. Um, I was round at his the other day, dropping it off, and he was showing me videos of Emily. Obviously, he's really proud, and um, you know she she looks a complete package. You know, very very balanced, like fast but not erratic. You know, it's it's quite mm-hmm. a it's quite a unique thing to see that at such a young age to see a rider that that is riding fast but looks very very in control. Um, you know, I think what, we an see, interesting an interesting thing that I think that's happening at the minute is if you look at the likes of 
I mean, in the elite men's ranks, the sort of Matthew Van Der Poels, uh, Tom Pidcock, uh, in terms of the pro women, that you know, these these young riders that are coming through at the minute, the Hattie Harndons, um, the Emily Carrick Andersons, they're they're racing everything, aren't they? Do you know what I mean? It's every weekend it feels like they're on a different bike, and that just all builds into this more complete bike rider. This like you know, it's find out what they enjoy best that use everything else to build this skill set around it and then before long you've got an absolute like competitor on just about everything yeah i mean it is it is pretty um yeah it is pretty unreal isn't it like you know tom pidcock the other week winning his first cross-country world cup and then kind of saying you know he said he thinks he was well i can't remember the exact quote was he's like i think i was kind of born to do mountain biking mm. um you know that's kind of what he loves to do and and what he did from a young age and just competing in all those different sports it's like you the skill set you acquire is just massive and you can kind of turn your hand to anything and i think that's what we're seeing you know we're seeing these young riders just who are immersed in competitive um cycling and mountain biking at a really young age who by the time they reach you know their kind of late teens there's just so many doors open for them. It's you know they could they could do mountain biking, they cross country, enduro, cyclocross, road, track. Like they've got the they've got the complete skill set. And um, you know with enduro being a, f- a fairly young sport, I think we'll begin to see that coming from the from the enduro side of things as well. To be honest, um, I think. You know, if I look back at when I was younger, maybe in my kind of early teens, you had kind of cross country or downhill, and I was never fit enough or never really wanted to be fit enough to ride cross country. Um, I just wanted to ride downhill, and there was this huge middle ground, which is what enduros come out of that was missing. But now you've got all these, you know, younger riders, and they're getting younger and younger all the time, who, you know, are, are out riding at the weekend on a, you know, on an enduro bike for three, four hours. But they've got the same skill set as you know someone who's who's you know just riding downhill or or that kind of thing. So that you're you're seeing that merge of fitness, um, volume of bike time with the skill. And you know, I don't think it'll be long before you see someone come from kind of left of field as in being an enduro racer and then transitioning into into another discipline. I think it's I think it's great. I think for parents, it, it kind of proves that you don't need to. You know, what I mean, you don't need to stick your kid in one discipline early or on. buy can... buy more than one bike either. Yeah, yeah. Like, speaking you as can... a parent who spends most of the money on kids' bikes, <laughs> you spend most of your money on cars, mate. Don't lie. I do. Um, yeah, it's all one color now. My car. It's a big. It's a big time in my life. But um, no, I think you're right. Um, I think. Um, I mean, I the oh, what was it? It was the second EWS I ever covered. Um, was down in Derby in Tasmania when Adrian Day won and I remember the general feeling then being that this was a big moment for the sport quietly because he was really one of the first dyed-in-the-wool enduro-only riders to win. Mm. Do you know what I mean? He hadn't come from downhill, he hadn't come from cross-country, he hadn't come from anywhere else. He was a young man who'd focused his attentions on enduro under the sort of tutelage of Nico Vulio and mm. had won this race. Um I think you look at I think I think you look at Martin Mays as winning a World Cup a couple of years winning the downhill World Cup a few years ago. But he was kind of, you know, 
you'd have to say you're gonna born and raised in enduro and he's gone to world cup and won mm -hmm. and i think it would be you know i think it'd be difficult for some world cup racers to then transition over to an ews and win just i i, I think it's it's difficult to transition both ways. I mean, it's only the exceptional riders that can, can do both. You've got the likes of Eddie Masters, who still actively competes in both. But Cecile, Cecile did very well that season. Was it 2018, yeah. whenever she went and raced um, World yeah. Cups as well? And she yeah. was a habitual podium finisher, top five. Yeah. Um, Anton, would, Anton Vidal, second at Antoine Giro Championship. Yeah. That, um, that win from Martin... Um, at the World Cup was one of the coolest things that I covered. Um, you were there, weren't you? Yeah, I, I did the I did the I did the interview him a couple of times, and we did the the finish interview, and the, the two of us were looking at each other the whole way through the interview, smiling and sort of like because I because I knew what it meant. I think um, maybe more than a lot of people around him at that time, I kind of knew what it meant. Because mm -hmm. I because I know what had been going on in enduro racing, I know how hard he works in that. I knew that he was there to have a crack and sort of end up where he ended up. And listen, there was you know there was a bit of sort of backbiting and some some negative comments afterwards from different riders, but it just came down to people being sore losers. I think I was, he I was he, say. he he absolutely there was a section in the middle of that track where he absolutely tore everyone apart. And that's yeah. where he won it, you know. Um, yeah. Now I heard the hospital in La Bresse there had uh, a lot of patients coming with bruised egos that evening. <laughs> <laughs> that went a lot better than I thought you were going to go with that analogy, right? Um, congratulations. <laughs> we got we've gotten away from the epic hope PMBN Greyfoot again. But listen, everyone there, listen. We know. I think if anyone knows how tough it is to run events against the horror show of a backdrop that is COVID-19, it is us um, and to do so with such conviction and to do so to such a standard, we've had some great feedback from everybody involved so, so impressive to see hats off to all those guys, all the team in Grafway I think that looks like it's really building into, I mean I know they didn't get to um, they didn't get to maybe do everything that they wanted to do this season in terms of spectators and uh, what have you but I I do know that that is it's one of those events that is really forward facing like I guess all bike events have to be and that people have to be realistic and it's not just about creating a great racetrack you've got to create almost a mini festival at races these days don't you and the you know the beer tent on-site camping like it was a weekend away and the very best of fun and congratulations to everyone involved with that um, Rory here, here. I have to go on here here here, here, good. Right, we may have to cut this one a wee bit short because you and I have both got um, 100 million other things to do, but I've got some exciting news for you. Go on. Uh, we have ordered, as of yesterday evening, some EWS bar stools. Nice. Yeah, that's, what, that's is, is, that, took, that took a few seconds to land with you. Um, I, hope they're, uh, I, hope they're, I hope they're, you know I mean, hope they're manufactured to hold my weight. They are. They've, I've gone for metal ones just because I wasn't sure if. I mean, you don't know yeah. wood, do you? You know. Um, <laughs> plus, you're paying a lot of money for solid pine, aren't you? You're paying a lot of money for, <laughs> for pine. Um, yeah, we've got some 
our our nice new official navy blue. We've got some nice navy blue stools coming to make sure that you and I both look professional in front of a camera this year. Um, that's it. What I, I will ask you what you've got on, but I know what you've got on, and it's absolutely loads. I've got a similar amount of stuff. I've got to go and listen to more dubstep to try and work out what music's going to go on this video yet. So yeah. let's wrap it there. Do you have any other business before we do? Not really, Rick, to be honest. I mean, like you say, I think the this is kind of the, the busy season for us, isn't it? Like the lead into the season. It's less than two weeks until we leave now. Um, so, yeah, I feel like I've got quite a lot of things to wrap up in the next ten days. Yeah. Uh, of that that the kind of race depends on so <laughs> but well, get back to them yeah not on that list but something you do is build their bikes so let's maybe have a chat about when we're going to do that but Rory thanks for your time and uh, report back next week sounds good Rick cheers